Hey guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I have Dr. Eric Helms back on the show, not to talk about his usual scientific insights about all things bodybuilding, but specifically to talk about his bodybuilding journey. He has had an amazing season this year and turned pro within the WMBF and represented New Zealand at WMBF Worlds in the pro ranks. He hasn't always believed in himself that he would have the ability to go pro, but this year he really put everything on the table. But we talk about some of his motivations for getting into the sport at the beginning, and then how has that developed over time, why intrinsic motivation is his main driver and why it's so important to have that backbone as a competitor, and we just delve into it all. I think you guys are gonna really, really enjoy this. So many insights, and I think if you're a competitor or you coach competitors, it'll be invaluable information. Now guys, for this podcast to continue to grow, reach new people, we need you to subscribe, need you to give us ratings, positive ones, of course, thumbs up, and share it with anyone you think might find it valuable. Of course, if you're on YouTube, please do just leave us a comment. We appreciate it every single time. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the show. Hi guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I have Dr. Eric Helms on the show. I normally look back and check when the person has last been on, and I've actually just forgotten to do that this time, Eric, but it's been too long. I always know it's been too long with Eric because opposite sides of the world and everything, and so uh, slightly larger barriers to entry, but uh, you're one of my favorite people to speak to, and so... Whenever there's an opportunity to jump on and chat, like I, I want to take that. So thank you again for being here. And actually, to frame this discussion already from the get-go, this isn't going to be your typical Eric Helms talking very scientific and delving into research and kind of optimization and those sort of aspects. It's going to be Eric the bodybuilder. And that's what I'm excited to talk about. And I think whilst uh, some of you might think, oh, no, this is just going to be like not useful to me because there's not going to be anything in there of any substance, I definitely think there will be, at least for myself from listening to Eric talk about his journey on various kind of platforms. It's been really great and I've taken a lot from it. So I think a lot of people listening on the podcast today will do so. So yeah, I guess um, you've had a hugely successful season, Eric, this year. Uh, How many seasons have you done so far uh, when was your first? Just to like frame the discussion so people are aware of like Eric Helms, the bodybuilder. Yeah, man. So first off, uh, echo everything you said, Steve. I love talking to you. You do great work and it's always a pleasure and a privilege. And it's always been too long because I can't get enough of you. So um, to answer your question, I have been competing in bodybuilding since my first season in 07. And this is my fifth season I just completed. So I competed in 07, 09. 2011 took a long hiatus to become Eric the science guy and uh, <laughs> moved to New Zealand do my second master's my PhD and then I competed in 2019 uh, and then I recently just finished my 2023 season at WBF Worlds and we're going to dig into that because like I said it was hugely successful but I wanted to kind of frame get a bit of a background before we jumped into that discussion and uh, I think I probably got this from you guys. I mean, a lot of what I do and the way I think about things, I think has been influenced strongly from yourself through DMJ, because I think you're an amazing influence on kind of the industry as a whole and specifically natural bodybuilding. But I think it's, it's super important to have a good why, a strong why. And I think that was probably influenced from you guys kind of discussing that. 
because uh, if you don't have a good why, when hard times come, you're going to crumble. Uh, so I would love to hear about what your why was initially getting into natural bodybuilding and competing and whether or not that's changed over time. Oh God, has it changed and has it evolved? And have I been so fortunate to have the understanding that I need to let that occur and also be intentional. Um, so way back when, in the very beginning, uh, I got into lifting more broadly, but, but very obsessively, uh, because I had a relatively traumatic experience, um, in my life that required an outlet. So immediately I had a very deep connection to lifting. Um, and I wanted something that would push me challenge me and allow me to, at the time, honestly, express some ability to like cope with trauma. So it had kind of a very masochistic tilt. So, um, you know, hardcore training was a good fit. Um, and it was it the, the best approach. Should I have been trying to like therapize myself with lifting and should I have been pushing myself past the point of sometimes safety and pain? Um, no, but it was certainly the best alternative to what I had at the time and compared to some far more purely negative outlets. And it wouldn't be long before it became something very positive, you know, as that situation uh, was dealt with and as I actually was able to deal with it um, in more direct ways. Uh, eventually, after maybe a year or two, it became something that I was like, oh man, I really love this. I think I wanna compete in it. I want this to become my career. So I started lifting in 04. I became a personal trainer in 05. I did a push, push pull, non-sanctioned uh, YMCA powerlifting meet in 06. And then I started dieting, competed in my first uh, natural bodybuilding season in 07. So um, it was very much a huge shift in like what I wanted to do with my life. And uh, it was the first time I like pushed all my chips in and said, you know, if this is the thing for me, I want to see if I really give my all in something, regardless of what kind of natural talent I have, regardless of my self-doubts, regardless of my historical, you know, kind of hopping around from thing to thing and not finishing things. That's how I saw myself at the time. I'm going to do this. And then um, I think once I started competing in 07, I had this kind of almost subversion of that initial uh, like dedication and drive I had to it and all the positive things I got out of it. Like, so right before I started actually dieting for my show and competing and thinking about competitive bodybuilding, um, I was like, man, this is great. I'm being given respect for my knowledge levels. I'm being, being given respect for the gains I've made. I'm getting to help people as a trainer. Um, and I feel fulfilled. I feel focused. I had a lot of intrinsic drivers and I was getting a lot of positive feedback. Um, and then I, I know I've said this on other podcasts for people who listen, but for those of you who haven't, I'll, I'll repeat it. I vividly remember being in the car with my wife in Sacramento where we used to live. I think we were driving on Arden, uh, which will mean something to a very small number of people who aren't listening. And I looked over at her and I said, you know, if I didn't think I could become Mr. National Olympia, I don't think I would keep lifting. And this was, I think it was shortly after I had finished uh, my, my first show. So my first show was the INBA Silver and Black in the Bay Area. It's a very small local INBA show. And, um, you know, if anyone's ever done an INBA show, especially in the States, they give you the whole rigmarole about go to Team USA and go on Natural Olympia. And like, you know, it's the biggest stage and all that stuff. So I kind of, you know, I was hyped up as a young man. 
And I, as soon as it came out of my mouth, my wife looked at me like, well, that's weird. Like, cause you like love to lift. This is your life. You do it as a career. You're studying it and you're in your computer, but all of a sudden you wouldn't lift anymore if you didn't think you could become Mr. Natural Olympia. Cause you didn't start lifting with the immediate intention of becoming a competitive bodybuilder. It came quick, but it wasn't like all, all that there was. And as soon as the last, you know, syllable left my mouth, I was like, that's not good, you know? So early on, Steve, I think I became really interested and invested in, in the dream. Oh, I could become like, oh, where, how, how far I could take it. And it wasn't that I had lost connection to the other things, but that became so powerful and it became so clear and crystallized. You know, the thing about extrinsic motivation is you can touch that. You can hold it. You can, you can imagine it. You can think about having, you know, being on that stage with uh, that thing around your neck and what it's like to be called a pro and what people will say and how you will see yourself. Um, intrinsic motivators are, they require a lot more depth and thought, you know, they're not sitting out there in the world as tangible things with associated trophies. You can't hang the accolade on your wall of an intrinsic motivator. So, um, but I, I did, I did give myself a little bit of credit, even though as a, a young man at the time, I immediately saw that that was a problem. And I started thinking about, um, you know, how do I, how do I retool my mindset or how do I guard against losing, you know, my connection to the deeper reasons that I, I compete and want to get involved in the sport. So, um, that was kind of where it started. And then my first competitive season, in addition to that conversation actually really helped. So, um, I don't know. I, I, I know you probably have follow up questions, but if you want, I can explain what happened in my first two shows that were pretty meaningful and helped set me on the right track as well. Yeah, I think that'd be great because my next question was talking about the importance of intrinsic motivators and the the kind of the problems with extrinsic ones. You've already kind of talked about that a little bit. So I'd love for you to kind of, yeah, draw this story. Absolutely. Okay. So we got the INBA silver and black. This was in, I want to say the first weekend in May and I had crushed myself in, in stupid ways like we all do our first season to get in decent shape and then uh, to make it even better, I got on stage at my first show doing basically everything wrong. I like kind of over carb loaded, um, under colored, uh, over oiled and posed poorly. And you will be, it's very hard to find pictures of me in my very <laughs> first show. Um, you can find pictures of me the next weekend, um, in the same season. And, uh, I'll explain why in a second. But at that first show, I did two divisions. I did the novice bodybuilding because it was my first show. And the INBA lets you also jump into the open if you want to do that. Uh, and I said, sure, I'll let me see where I stand, you know. And I'm glad I did um, because I won the novice tall category. There's only three of us, small show. Um, and let's just say that no one would be impressed by any of the three of us. I just happened to be the least, least impressive person on that day. We were all true novices, okay? It's no shade to the other two gentlemen, I'm sure. Again, this is 16 years later. I'm sure they're doing great. But back then, all of us were, were true to the category. Um, but I think that gassed me up, you know, first show, first division. I'm the novice tall champion, you know. Um, and then I decided to jump into the open. 
And I'm there with none other than Alberto Nunez. This is both of our first shows. And he is, uh, I want to say, 15 pounds heavier than me on stage. So figure that one out. Um, and uh, like I said, I, I'm the yellow oil spill of, of bad posing. And he is the, you know what, I look pretty good in the offseason. Let's just do a show. Um, <laughs> That's chunky for Alberto. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There were four of us. And um, I placed fourth. He placed third. And then the two people who actually did the right things for the, 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 uh, the competition placed first and second in that division. Um, and that was a good experience for me because 10 minutes after I just placed first, I placed last. So I think that was appropriately humbling and it gave me a good perspective. I was like, okay, I'm not doing things great. Um, you know, and, and then I saw the pictures and I was mortified and I was like, oh my God. And I realized that I didn't have pride in my win and it wasn't just about like the outcome. I had to, like, yeah, I needed to care. Um, and I was so bothered by how I looked and how I didn't present myself at what I knew was an accurate representation of the hard work I put in. Um, and I, I, like, the trophy didn't mean anything to me. Like, the competition did not mean what I thought it would by winning a novice class. Like, if I was a pure kind of, like, do this for other people in perception person, I would have just ignored the fact that I placed fourth, not talked about it, and just, yeah, first show, won a novice tall class. You know, next it's the open, next it's the pro card, and next it's the worlds, you know, kind of kind of like put that out there, you know, but that's not what I did. Um, what I did was I signed up for the next weekend, the NPC Contra Costa. And this was a show where I going into it, I knew I had like literally zero chance of doing anything. This was my first season. I'm a natural athlete and this is a national qualifier. Uh, the biggest show in California besides like the national level shows and, and, and the Mr. California itself. To give you an idea of scope, it's at Chabot uh, Community College, which is like a, a two-year university. It's a very large performing arts center. Um, there were 23 novice middleweights that I competed with. Uh, so like three series of call-outs. Um, and I ended up placing, uh, quote-unquote, 16th, along with uh, six other people who did not finish. They don't place you outside of the top 15. So, yeah. So I was I was 16 along with six others. Um, I'm going to assume that I was the first 16th yeah. place winner, though. So you, you write that down, Steve. Um, <laughs> but more importantly, what I did was I got I, I got better color. I I understood how dark I needed to be, not just kind of looking reasonably good in the, in the hotel lighting, but like dark, dark. You know, um, I worked on my posing. I got feedback from the judges at the first show, and I also. Uh, reached out to Lane Norton, who very graciously helped me go from um, over carb loading and also like eating a ton that weekend and then needing to clean up in just four days. Um, and, you know, I represented myself well at the Contra Costa and I did not care that I was 16th. And this, man, again, a huge show. Like Jay Cutler is guest posing and he just came off of his Mr. Olympia win, beating Ronnie Coleman, 07, right? Uh, shook his hand. This show's gigantic. So I got to do it on this huge stage. And even though I was clearly, you know, a novice competitor, I looked as good as I had that whole season on stage. And if you find any pictures of me from 07, they're from the Contra Costa. And I was more proud of that, even though I hadn't won. And I had just won the weekend prior. So the, the, uh, that experience, I think, solidified to me that, okay, there's more to this than winning. And that was the first taste. Again, this was 
still before 3DMJ. Like I had met Alberto, but that was just me and him as athletes in our young 20s. And we had not yet really kind of taken that arc further. But that first season was was a good one. You know, I had that, that conversation with my wife and I had that that experience where I realized that the the pure win wasn't all I was going for. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, I would say, I hope I was as mature, like to, to have that response uh, for my first season. It's like so young because I think a, a lot of people would do exact, especially maybe it's worse now because of social media is so much larger mm-hmm. and it's like we're in an Instagram age and it's like instant gratification online. So you might not have had the same opportunity to have like put out to like your audience, hey, look, I won this show and I'm gonna like, this is the start of something huge. Uh, uh, you'd have to have shared the photos though, but then there's Photoshop, uh, unless Goob uh, is gonna catch you around. Uh, Goob you too, if anyone follows him on Instagram, you'll know. Uh, but really, really great story. And I think, uh, I hope a lot of the listeners and competitors will be able to resonate with it where they've had similar experiences where, hey, they might not, they'd be more proud of maybe on paper a worse placing due to them actually presenting something better than maybe a better placing somewhere else where they know they weren't at their best. It's kind of like, hey, at some shows, you can win your category, but be the only one on stage where you're first and last. So it's like, (laughs) what are you going to take from that? (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I would love to hear a little bit about more some of those kind of intrinsic uh, motivators for you. Kind of what what are those, uh, if you can expand upon them? Yeah, so I think... Some of the things that, that came out of that for me were, uh, hold on, let me turn off my alarm to wake up and talk to you because we're starting a little earlier. There we go. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the intrinsic motivators evolved over time. You know, So what I realized with that is that I was more interested in being um, my best uh, rather than the best. At least I shifted the order. So I just realized that. Fortunately, that was, like, that was a character trade, right? Um, that as much as I wanted to win, I wanted to do so in a way that I was proud of. So I think that was kind of the first step for me as I was still very much focused on, on the W. Um, in 2008, um, Alberto came back because he, he had a similar feeling. Like he didn't feel like he represented himself well. He learned from the silver and black that he needed to be leaner and then he got tighter, competed in uh, a show in June, but it was still... I mean, like, like I said, he was heavier than where he starts diets now at that show. So it like, he was in better shape, but it wasn't enough for him to do as well as he felt he was capable. Um, and uh, he jumped right into his next season. And 08 was a big year for Birdo. Um, that was basically the equivalent of this year for me. <laughs> I was a late bloomer. But he won the silver. He came back and won the silver and black. And got PNBA Pro qualified. He came back and did the NGA California again, which is, which is the second show he did in, in better shape, but not great shape in 07, won that and got his NGA Pro card. And then he did what is now known as the Muscle Mayhem, but back then was the Cap City, and won his WNBF Pro card, and then did his pro debut at the WNBF Mid-America. So I watched him, the guy I was, you know, right there with, buddy of mine, friend online, you know, we trained together all, you know, in 07 and for our, our, our shorter off season. And I was chomping at the bit and I was watching him just sweep the whole thing. And I was like, all right, next year's my year, right? Um, and next year was a good year. I got into two overalls and I placed second to an overall winner and I placed second in one show and third in another. Um, but I did not get a pro card, you know, in 09. Um, and it was a, an experience of me doing my best I could to get in, like to represent myself well. And while I was really frustrated and get the pro card, I knew I, I didn't deserve it yet. So I was more or less okay with that. And I knew that I needed to be 
Like I, I saw my physique. I wasn't on Birdo's level. Um, but I think more importantly in 09 is, is I got to see a more clear example of what it is like if you do just chase the kind of the, the, the win at all cost mentality. And that was um, something I learned from Jeff Alberts, who he shared with me how he spent through the 90s, the late 90s competing and all the way through the mid 2000s, all the way up to 2006 doing that. And he got so burnt out that he had retired. And he said 06 was the last year he was going to do it. Imagine and then, if he'd retired then. <laughs> sad, right? Yeah. You know? So then at 38, he decided to come back in 09 and he started his blog 3D Muscle Journey. Um, and this was not the 3D Muscle Journey you are all aware of today. It was literally just his blog. And this was in the era where Facebook was just kind of getting off the ground. The forums were the dominant place where competitors hung out and talked. Instagram was, no, was not yet a thing. And YouTube was, was relatively early as well. And, um, but he had, but blogs were still pretty big. And he was having people and interviewing them uh, who were part of what's what he called the natural movement. Folks like Alberto Nunez, folks like Lane Norton, things like that. Uh, and just trying to give a little shine to natural athletes alongside his blog, which he called 3D Muscle Journey, uh, because it was his first time just, you know what, I'm just going to focus on the dedication, the desire, the discipline, and then focus on the journey rather than the outcome. Um, there was one story he told where he traveled to Texas alone to compete in a show in 02, and he was at his best, and he lost by one point to the, uh, the guy who got the pro card in the overall. And I think and I, I, uh, that there were some one of the judges was actually the guy's coach. So he felt like he felt burned, you know, um, the guy didn't recuse himself, um, or, or something like that. And I, I could be making this up, but the point is that he felt jaded and, and that was like just one of the experiences that he pushed through and kept going. And eventually he was like, screw this, you know, but he came back at 38, not focusing on the win. And what did Jeff do? Well, 09 was basically the, the, the same thing that Alberto experienced in 08. Uh, Jeff won his NGA Pro Card and his WMBF Pro Card that year. Um, swept most of the shows in California. And, you know, I, I got to be in some of those overalls watching him and, you know, the slightly better bodybuilders than I worked out. I wasn't second in that one lineup with him and Moji Alua or him and Luke Ellis, these beasts. And I was like, shit, you know, like, A, this guy's 38. Uh, B, he's not focusing on winning and he's finally winning. Um and when I talked to him, his mindset is a, is a really, really good one, you know? And he, I can tell he, like, he, he, he has a self-identity as a bodybuilder. And it's about progress for him and pushing himself and also community. You know, the whole natural movement thing I thought was awesome that he was going to all these shows, interviewing people. So the intrinsic motivators I got, if we kind of look at 09, was that I loved the community. I felt understood. I had relatedness. For a brief second, I'm going to put on my, my researcher hat. If we talk about self-determination theory, uh, which I think has probably the strongest uh, evidentiary support for this kind of hypothetical, theoretical construct of understanding human motivation that seems to be cross-cultural, is that people need relatedness. Um, they need to feel competent, like they can get better at something. And they need to feel autonomous, like they're in charge of their own destiny. And I was definitely getting all of those things out of bodybuilding. The relatedness of the community, that was a huge part of it. Uh, the competence I was trying to improve, and the autonomy. I think that's actually the thing that gets threatened when you really focus on extrinsic goals. 
So autonomy is basically saying like, you know, I, I have power. And something that Jeff would say is I'm not giving up my definition of success to seven people I don't know. And I, I, I struggled with that when he first said it. I was like, but that they are def- deciding whether you succeed, you know, like they score you and that's what happens. And what goes down and you go on the website is who won, who is second, who's third, you know, but, um, but ultimately, you know, when you really think about bodybuilding, who shows up and, you know, it's it's an average of seven judges with the high and the low thrown out based upon subjective criteria of you compared against other people, you know, and I, I had been competing in powerlifting from the start. So that, that kind of comparison of a very objective, like, did you lift more or not, um, sport versus bodybuilding was also helpful. And it enabled me to, to put less emphasis on placings, less emphasis on the actual competitive outcome, not no emphasis. Cause you know, I, I still do compete to win, but I don't only compete to win. So, so in 09, I really had this kind of understanding that it was, um, a little bit more than that. And, uh, more importantly in 09, so two main, main things happened. 3DMJ got formed in the discussions of myself, Alberto, Brad, and, and Jeff backstage and all meeting each other and realizing that we coalesced around that philosophy, uh, that Jeff encapsulated in the, in the name 3D muscle journey. Um, and the proof is in the pudding, you know, like this guy coming back at 38, crushing it. So, uh, that was a huge thing. So that was the community connection. That was the uh, intrinsic motivator of defining your own success. But also um, that year was uh, a really, really terrible year in, in many ways for me. My father took his own life. Um, I tore my hamstring. Um, we were in very bad financial situation. I lost an uncle. Um, and uh, some other stuff happened on my, my wife's family uh, that were really tough to deal with, um, substance abuse, things like that, you know, very close to us. So it was, uh, like our, our lives were crumbling around us and I did not have the, um, the tools at that time. I had the support network. I'm very fortunate in that way, but I didn't have the emotional tools to deal with that level of, uh, grief, trauma, and stress. So I just poured it all into prep and, um, prep very much became a, a vehicle for positive transformation. And I don't necessarily say that lightly. And I don't think it's necessarily true for everyone. You know, you can throw adversity, at a lot of people in bad circumstances. And if they weren't lucky, like I am to have a safety net and good people around them, they might have not come out better on the other side. And we see tragic stuff like that all the time. So I don't mean to say like, you know, it's got to be faced with the crucible and you come out stronger on the other side. But I'm very fortunate that for me, um, I got thrown into, you know, the blacksmith's, you know, fiery chamber and I came out a sword. I um, realized just how much I'm capable of. I pushed myself to an extremely, you know, challenging place. I, I crushed myself in 09. I got shredded. I competed in five shows and I, like the day after my, my father committed suicide, I did a powerlifting meet. Um, I tore my hamstring and I competed a week later and then kept competing. You know, I, I just... I, I decided to be relentless and I decided you know, I, I don't care what happens. I'm going to push myself as far as I can. I'm going to finish. I need to do this for myself and to show that I can survive this year and not just the contest prep. So that prep meant a lot more to me than it might've otherwise looked like. Um, 
And the fact that I got, I went from the start to the finish and I did five shows and I dieted from January till the end of September. Um, it's like 38 weeks or something like that, which in 09 was a crazy long time, right? This is before, you know, we were, we were popularizing like six month diets and things like that. Um, the fact that I did it, it completely changed my self view and who I saw myself as. Um, and I, a lot of the limitations I was putting on myself disappeared. And that's when I started my academic career. Um, that's when we started 3DMJ. And that's when I kind of went from being someone who had some doubts, but you know, maybe I'm pretty good, like to um, being a very, uh, I guess, effective person in my life. And I built a lot of self-efficacy and everything else seemed easier in life because I had pushed myself that hard and gone through so much. So that was the... Like at that point in 09, Steve, like bodybuilding, like knew I was done. Like put a ring on me. Like, you know what? I could cheat on this guy. He's going to stay with me. I got this guy wrapped around my finger. Bodybuilding had Eric Helms locked down mm. on that day, Steve. There was nothing that, that could be done to jettison me, me from the sport because I tied it so deeply into my psyche. Um, and then from that point on, I was so tied to bodybuilding that I was actively thinking of ways to express myself through it and make it and like make that connection deeper because I knew I, I saw what it gave me and I had so much gratitude for that vehicle and it probably could have been something else in some other life you know me doing downhill skiing and there's some <laughs> you know version of reality where I'm, I'm studying that and helping people in that area but yeah that was uh, the the initial connection was it's how I learned that I was capable of things. It's how I processed grief. And it was how I um, connected with a community and how I expressed myself and uh, developed a sense of, of purpose. Uh, was was 09. It all crystallized there and it turned into a 3D muscle journey. So awesome to hear about that experience. And uh, I've I don't know if I've heard you say it in such words or maybe haven't listened as intently as I am on the end, other end here where 2009 was really like a jumping board for you, which obviously in so many ways was such a, a negative year, but ended up turning into such a positive. And when I look at like very successful people in life, it's quite often those who have gone through like extreme hardships who have then used that to springboard themselves up and where they say pressure builds diamonds in that sense. And I guess you learn how... Like you can go through some really severe shit and push through a lot. And that just gave you so much confidence throughout like the rest of your life, uh, which not to talk about myself too much, but it was a, in some ways I, I draw similarities in that me competing was very much a mechanistic, like, Hey, I've gone through this accident. If I can compete and come out the other side and be like, okay, I know I'm like recovered from this event. Whereas it was always kind of hovering over me as something that I was like, I don't know if I'm still like this fragile human. So it kind of gave me a lot of confidence that no, I can. And so it sounds, it, although very different, it kind of similar here. And yeah, I'm so glad it was such a positive springboard for you. And it's, I think people listening probably have their own stories about it too, especially those who have kept going for a long time and kind of got into it for the reasons kind of similar to ourselves where it wasn't like, I don't know, Instagram fame or these other things. It had a deep seated reason and you had a deep seated purpose. And I love the community aspect too. I think that's the same for me as well. And why I love this podcast and kind of in many ways, love social media because of that aspect of it. It allowed the, the sport to grow and develop a lot. And uh, yeah, it's so very cool. And actually at the, the core of that, 
was this discussion of these intrinsic, very rewarding things, not focusing so much on winning, yet at the same time having the kind of eyes on the prize. And we're kind of jumping ahead here and talking about this season a little bit, a little bit where in New Zealand, you obviously did incredibly well and then weren't rewarded that pro card, which uh, for those listening, like this was your goal this season. And I guess the season before that was like, you had self-belief that the pro card was there for the taking at some point for you. And you weren't rewarded that in New Zealand. And I'd love to hear just how you felt in the moment and how you feel now about it. Because I don't know how I would feel at that time. <laughs> yeah, man. So um, yeah, you know, first just a brief aside, you know, you mentioned that you weren't quite sure that you'd listened intently enough or, or, or realized just how much 09 meant. And that's not necessarily your fault. I've, um, it's taken me a lot of years to be candid about 09 and share that. Um, you know, it was a long time before I actually, I think it was actually 2019, which was the 10 year anniversary of my father's death where I actually came out and said how he died. Um, and I had like a, you know, I did some promotion for the American, uh, AFSP, so the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and raised some funds there. And that was the first time I'd openly spoke about on social media that how he died. And But there was so much else that went on that year. Um, like I haven't, and I probably won't go into detail because it's, it's, it's more my wife's family, but, you know, dealing with substance abuse and having uh, an uncle die of cancer and <laughs> like I haven't gotten into the specifics of our financial hardship. Like it was to say that everything fell down around us and we kind of barely made it through is, is not an exaggeration. So it was a, um, man, it was a bad year, you know? So, um, that was something like, like that's not for lack of paying attention. I guess what I'm saying, Steve, it's, it's taken me a long time to feel comfortable talking about it and to not have it just be kind of like, Oh, look what I've been through or, you know, like the woe is me thing. But I, I think it, now I realize that uh, talking about it is um, useful because there are so many people like yourself who they will use some task, some, some, something that's not the same thing that they're experiencing that requires them to push themselves really, really hard as a testament to their own self-belief that, okay, if I can do this, maybe I can deal with all that. And when, that, when they succeed that can be life-changing. And it was for me. Uh, and I know it was for you. And I think that's why something like Revive Stronger resonates with so many people. So it's a, it's a privilege to be able to talk to you about it. I, I know you get it. And I think a lot of people in physique sport get it because a, a lot of us do that. You know, we, we, we use the sport as a vehicle for self-transformation. Um, so anyway, um, 2019 was my, the 10-year anniversary of of my, my father's passing. And I had, you know, finished my, my PhD in 2017 and I'd spent 2018 going, let's do a proper off season and for bodybuilding specifically, not, not for kind of strength sport. And let's see what I can do. Let's see like what has eight years off of, uh, of competing done. And, uh, 2019 was a good year. I placed second in like a bunch of shows basically. And I won one show that was too small uh, to to award a pro card, um, I did four shows, play second and three, one one too small. So I was like right there knocking on the door, like I kind of had been in '09 and, and my prior seasons. But this was the first time I looked at my physique and I was like, oh, like I feel like I have a good physique. 
Like I, I didn't actually feel that way about my physique in prior years. I felt like I had an okay physique and if I got lean and I posed well, I could, I could sneak in there and do some damage. And, and I had in 2011, I got PNBA pro qualified in a small show, but I, you know, I had, um, a lot of doubts related to my, my potential, despite this kind of, um, buildup of, of my, my self-efficacy and self-belief. I knew that I could do anything. Like I had kind of the, I like, I resonated with Lane Norton because it was the outwork mentality. It wasn't like have sick genetics.com or anything like that. It was outwork. And I saw that, okay, if I just put in a lot of work, if I pose well, if I diet my ass off, if I get shredded, maybe I can do a little something with this not great genetics was kind of the, the internal story I had. And, um, you know, seeing folks like Alberto and, and Jeff up close and coaching now, I saw how much bodybuilding was a dog and pony show. Like how much, like, did you choose the right parents is really going to put a cap on you. But I think that was like the last bastion of my insecurity and self-doubt. Um, I knew that I could push myself to do anything, but I still had these limiters on me. And 2019 surprised me. I was like, oh, like maybe I'm better than I think I am. So I think I started in 2019 to dare to believe that maybe I could focus on the competitive side again because I didn't want the focus on the extrinsic to take away from the intrinsic. So in 2019, I didn't talk about it a lot like to the internet, but I talked to Berto. I was like, hey man, like let's do some damage this year. Like I feel good. Like I'm a shark in the water, man. Like I'm, I don't know if I'm going to win like anything crazy, but like I want you to know like, I want to bring the heat. And like, so Berto and I were, were kind of secretly, you know, thinking about like, let's, let's target these shows and try to get a pro card, et cetera. Um, and then 2023, I leaned into that fully. I was like, you know what? Main goal of this season, at least extrinsic goal, because nothing's changed intrinsically for me. I want to get my pro card and I want to compete at Worlds in the pro division and I want to belong. And that was the, the goal from the start. Um, and, you know, this was the year I turned 40. That was kind of the significance of, of doing it in 2023. And, man, it was the best my physique's ever been. There, I made some targeted improvements in the offseason. And because I was focused on winning, uh, each one of the shows were, I was more anxious for them than I had been in previous years, you know. And I think I, I posted about it in my season reflection recently on Instagram that, Focusing on winning is, um, it's a risky proposition. Um, you know, like champion mindset kind of people will talk about like, what else is there? You know, you got to do this. And like, you know, they, they make it kind of this, like pull yourself up by the bootstraps, focus on it. You can do this. You got to believe yourself as a champion. Um, but what you don't often realize about that mindset is that it's actually one where you're giving up power. So when you have a fully intrinsic motivation or a heavily intrinsic motivation to compete, um, you get to decide uh, that, that you're satisfied with an outcome, even if you don't place as well as you want. And it's kind of like having this big anchor in the bottom of the ocean and you're, you know, the competition is the waves and you don't know how the weather's going to go, right? You, you brought your best ship and you might get toppled or you might be, you know, the, the, the ship that manages to weather the storm and you, the chips fall and you win. But if you've got an anchor, there can be a storm, things don't go well, but you're like, no, I did well. Like that was the best I've been, or I feel happy about my effort I put forth. I don't care that I place fourth, or I don't care as much. Like it's, 
it's dank, you know, like, oh, shoot, I wish I could have got first, you know. Um, but you see some people out there, man. There's been some unfortunate, very unprofessional examples post many a, a show where the champion who doesn't stay a champion in that show, they, 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 oh, so sad for you. You play second in the world. And then you, they threw a complete hissy fit online and acted like, you know, their life's over. And um, not realizing that the 99% of bodybuilders who place second through through 15th or like I did, you know, 16th along with seven other people, just roll their eyes at some person who's complaining about, you know, like getting getting a silver medal at the world-class level. And But you realize that that kind of champion mindset, it can... It can rob the person of their objectivity, of their professionalism, of honestly their their respect for the community in these moments because they're so focused on an outcome they don't have a control over. And then the emotional response is so heavy. They pour their all into something they can't control. And when it goes poorly, of course they respond that way. So I also have some compassion for it. But anyway, I had seen it as a coach. I had had hard conversations with many athletes who were very, very focused on it and you know, I'm trying to help them build some intrinsic there as well, but I can see that it's almost like they're siphoning gas from their intrinsic motivation towards the extrinsic, and then they're going to go, not knowing who's showing up in this competition. In a competition where it's not who squats, benches, and deadlifts the most, or who runs the fastest, or jumps the highest, but when we look at a piece of paper of words describing what a good physique looks like, and you stand next to some other person, and you guys do these flexings, and these seven judges who have reasonable but just disparate levels of, of expertise and experience are going to mark you down on a piece of paper and then we're going to average them and that's who wins. And that's what you're going to stake your whole happiness on. That. Okay. Like to me as, as, a, as someone who, who likes you know, evidence and, and likes objective things, right? Um, the risk is obvious. But I think for many people and many athletes, they, they don't see it that way. And they just think about, you know, I come from an athletic background. I'm getting into physique sport as an adult. I'm going for the W. I want to win. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but in the absence of intrinsic motivation, it can be very painful. So in 2023, this year, I decided to expose myself to that risk. But I did it because I had a lot of faith in my intrinsic motivators, which have only grown since where we kind of left off in, in 09. Like that was the biggest one, that a deep emotional connection that I got from 09. But since I, I've become invested in the history, uh, you know, the culture. Um, anyone who follows us on Iron Culture knows that I'm like an amateur historian for physical culture and bodybuilding. I've become, you know, a senior research fellow in New Zealand. I work with students. I'm interested in like the applied science. Um, Eric Trexer talks about how doing a bodybuilding prep is kind of like a applied physiology experiment. I like that aspect too. It's, it's another motivator that's developed. So I'm like intellectually invested. I'm artistically invested. You probably see sometimes when I do posing routines, I incorporate pop locking that I used to do as a kid, like a dance routine. So I express myself artistically. I acknowledge that bodybuilding is both a sport and a, uh, an art form. So it's my creative outlet. It's my intellectual outlet. It's my physical outlet. It's my uh, self-identity. It's an emotional expression. I, I like the culture around it, and I like the community. So I felt confident, Steve, that all of that would be strong enough that if I, if I did myself proud in this season, where the chips fell, even if I was really invested in getting my pro card, winning and competing as a pro, and I vocally to my whole audience said, I'm going to be doing these things, and I'm coming for it. And I think I'm good enough, damn it. Um, like even saying that, 
I knew that if it went poorly, I would be mildly embarrassed. It would be, you know, it might be a blow to, to my, my self-perception as a competitive bodybuilder. I might have to go, okay, these guys, these kids these days are too damn good, you know. Um, like it, worst case though, but I would still have all those other things. And I knew I'd be okay. And I knew I would still, you know, have a place in our community. I knew I would still have self-respect. I knew I would still uh, know that I had the ability to push hard and do things. It just, okay, I just don't have the genetics to, to take it this far. You know, that would be the worst case scenario. And I exposed myself to that and I was ready for it. So as you described, uh, when I competed in WNBF New Zealand, and I judged at it last year, and the show is is growing. It's a small federation, only the second year that WBF New Zealand has been around. And last year, we did the same thing. We had an external panel, because uh, the local judges, we don't have a whole lot of them. And I, I, I kind of made that a little worse this year, because now I'm not on the judging panel, I'm on stage. So um, part of the, the thing that was done was that we had uh, two international uh, WBF official uh, people watching on live stream. And uh, this year and last year, they had the, the final decision as to whether or not uh, someone who won would be awarded the pro card. Um, because if we didn't have the numbers and we still want to have international representation, we want to make sure that the, uh, the quality is there. And this is kind of like an interim rule before uh, the numbers are big enough to where each individual WBF federa- uh, affiliate can decide what are their rules for turning pro or qualifying for Worlds, right? So uh, I did well. Um, I, I won the show. I won the, the bodybuilding class, but there was only one white class because there was only four of us. So it was me and three other competitive bodybuilders. And then one thing we do in the New Zealand sh- show to make it a little more competitive and get people more comparisons is for the overall, instead of just having one class that's it and that's the overall and, and the quote-unquote weight class, is you go up against the other bodybuilding divisions. So if there's a master's, a novice, a teen or whatever, you go against those winners. So there was an overall, and I went against the novice winner who was in a class of six and also the teen who was just a, a single gentleman. Um, so it wasn't like I didn't have a decent competitive field, but it wasn't me beating seven open bodybuilders. So the numbers weren't there, which meant it fell to the panel. And the panel told me, like, right after getting the overall, just imagine being on stage, here you go, you win the overall. And then the announcement, and by the way, our panel has decided that no, no pro, pro card to be awarded. So it was a whiplash experience. Um, and I'm not, I'm not salty about it. Uh, and I, I don't mean to say that it's um, like there's nothing wrong with it. I, I, we did it the year prior when I was a judge. I knew what I was signing up for and I agreed to the rules. So I'm not mad. But it was a rough experience to go from the, the, the sense of victory, winning an overall, uh, winning the national title, right, you know, for, for New Zealand, um, to then immediately being told, and by the way, the heads of the, the organization don't think you're good enough to get a pro card, when that's what I set out for that year. It was like, oh, that's rough. Um, and one thing I will say is that that is changing for next year. W- one of the logistical issues with this is the live stream is probably not the best way to judge a physique. Um, and uh, I think... And the way it's going to be done in the future is the, the judging panel themselves are going to have that, that agency to do it, which I think is probably better. Um, so, yeah, again, it's a subjective sport and it's like another layer, layer of subjectivity. So it's, you have to figure out what you want to do in these situations and there's no fantastic answer and you shift and you pivot. But uh, it was what it was and I had to just accept that. So that was my experience at my first show of the season. It went great and then 
I got told, you know, like nice little knife wound into, into my insecurities. Oh, by the way, but you're not good enough, you know? So yeah, I had to deal with that. And, and that's what I exposed myself to by deciding I'm going to go out there and gun for the pro card. Um, one saving grace, Steve, was I wasn't diced at that show. I wasn't at my best. So being t- like, if I, I think it would have been rough if I had been in the same shape I was in at Worlds and they're like, yeah, you're not good enough for pro card. <laughs> then I'd be like, well, if this is my best. Like, I don't think I could get any better. But um, I was probably a few kilos off of like as lean as I could be. And we knew that because the plan was to make it all the way to Worlds. And I started dieting like the first week of February. So in all, all up, I dieted 41 weeks this year. And I timed it. So like September 30th, when I start competing and then Worlds would be the end. So that's only like a seven week span to make sure that I didn't start fading at the end and, and just letting the diet beat me down from being lean that long. So Berto and I made the calculated decision of being in what we call legally shredded condition for the WNBF New Zealand. Like like right there. Like I did have shredded glutes, don't get me wrong, but they weren't top to bottom. And I didn't have uh, necessarily like cross striations in my quads yet. Um, I had been leaner. But despite the fact that I had been leaner in 2019, um, it was the best my physique had ever looked. So I was very confident in my off-season. Uh, improvements. I was confident in my posing improvements and I was confident that I could be better. And the feedback from the panel was, if you were a little tighter, we would have given you a pro card. So I was like, okay, I, this season I can be pro worthy, you know, well, subjectively, but, but right now I'm not. So let's keep going. I love that backstory of building up the importance of the intrinsic and having focused on that, particularly earlier on in your career. And now later in your career, when you've built the physique to its best, now it's the focus on some of that intrinsic, knowing you've got that kind of built up efficacy from all the intrinsic motivators that you have. So getting to this point, like it wasn't the kind of horrific moment it could have been for a competitor. And I know exactly I've seen those competitors go on stage and like they come second and it's like, hey, their world's over. And part of me gets it because I I know if you put that pressure on yourself, then you, it feels crushing in that moment. And normally I think I see these people, they reflect and like, I, I didn't mean to disrespect other people. And I kind of understand that, but I'm the same way with my clients where even if they're good, I never want to be like, Hey, you're going to, I'll be like, if they're good, I'll be like, you, you're going to be battling for a placing for sure. No doubt about like mm-hmm. almost no doubt about it. Like I'm like uh, almost because like you said, you never you know because you want to give your clients and you want to give yourself confidence, but you don't want to be to that point of overconfidence where, yeah, you're shooing to win or any of these aspects because it's absolutely out of your hands at the end of the day. So brilliant, brilliantly described and actually no better kind of place to be than first show of the season. You know you can be better and the feedback is get tighter and you would have got it. It's like, I imagine actually having got that feedback, you're like, Hey, it's, I'm, I'm go- like, it, it could have set you back if you didn't get such feedback. If you're like, I don't know, you, you don't have the shape for it. You're too small. Something like this, that would have just been like, oh gosh. Whereas actually it's just like, get a little bit tighter and that just spurred you onto the next shows, I presume. No, exactly. And I competed in three back-to-back shows. So um, that was, you know, basically the plan was, all right, let's, let's dig. And the, the way that I, I typically peak, it was conducive to that. So I load two or three days out from the show and then I just kind of taper down and I barely even eat on show day. I just make sure that I have like deli meat to, to get sodium up and a little bit of something in me, you know, some carbs, 
um, that have, you know, a mixture of sodium potassium. Like my first meal is to make sure my electrolytes are balanced and I pump water. And then I have something salty right before, you know, like 30 minutes prior to getting on stage and pump up. Um, so like by the time I hit the stage, you know, I'm, I, I look really full and everything because I've cleaned up and I have kind of an extended load look. Um, but I'm eating like 500 calories by the time you're seeing me on stage and other guys are carb loading on game day. So, um, so essentially because we're a day ahead here in New Zealand compared to the States, I had a good eight days before I had to be on stage next weekend at the battle of the Bay, which is the, probably the second biggest INBF show in California outside of the muscle mayhem. Um, and it's a really well-run show, you know, shout out to Francisco Montalegre. It's right there in Fremont where Jeff grew up. So uh, not too far from where he lives. So I, I flew out a few days later, stayed with Jeff and basically we just had like a two week bodybuilding camp because the weekend after the battle of the Bay, um, he was doing his first show of the season cause he's also died in this year and the pro-am the Washington state, which we did way back in 09 where he won his pro card. So this is a big deal for both of us as he's coming back to compete as a pro in the show that 14 years ago he won his pro card. And I'm coming back after being in the overall with Jeff. I won the light heavies all the way back in 09. Um, so we had these two back-to-back shows and the game plan is, you know, stay at Jeff's and just every day we're doing cardio training. Well, not training every day, but you know, um, and we're practicing our posing and we're, we're dieting together. It was a ton of fun. So this was great. And another reason to be motivated but, um, but yeah, so basically I get off stage. I finished the day of the show in New Zealand. So motivated in a deficit. I still, I still went out and ate with, you know, my friends and stuff, but I, I kept it reasonable when I was out. And like I said, I was only coming in on a few hundred calories. Um, you know, and I had, you know, my, my, my wife flew down to see me. It was in Christchurch. So she got to see me compete. It was awesome. I had some friends who were there. Um, my mom got to see me in the audience. So it, it was great to be able to do a show locally. Um, and I'm so glad that we actually do have a WBF Australia and New Zealand affiliate now, because in 2019, I had to do a, um, an IFBB natural show. So it was it's still a natural show to just to kind of get my family and friends to see it. But, um, but you know, it wasn't, it wasn't an opportunity for me competitively. I, I'm not going to try to go get my IFBB pro card. So, um, so anyway, um, yeah, I just pushed straight through. So we had low days and, and low, low days. We pushed a lot harder. Berto and I like, all right, we know what we need to do. And we're, we're close enough now that it's time, it's time to rock. So I had um, basically, because um, like I said, we're a day ahead. It was like I competed on a Friday. So I had Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I had five pretty, pretty hardcore low days. I think I was on uh, basically 1,500 calories and I was clocking 12K steps um, per day and um, got noticeably tighter and then loaded up Thursday and tapered into the show. And I did the Battle of the Bay, which is a very good show. And I had the experience that I've had a number of times in previous seasons um, of placing second to the person who then went on in the overall to win the, uh, the pro card. Now, the battle, I was disappointed by that because I was right there. And um, so to give a little recap there, I was in a seven person uh, middleweight class and there were a number of very other good competitors in that class. So I felt really good about placing second. Um, so the person who actually won that show the year prior, there was not enough to turn pro out of six. And he has his WBF Masters Pro Card, and he also has a PNBA Pro Card. His name is Henrik. He's a good dude. Um, and uh, he placed fifth in that lineup of seven, just to give you an idea of the quality of the competitors at the Battle of the Bay. 
Um, and there was also a guy, Edward Espinoza, who's a PNBA pro. He had just recently won a, uh, an INBA show. Amazing legs. He placed sixth, right? So this is a competitive lineup. And then the top four, we were very fortunate, were all 3DMJ athletes. So subtle plug for our coaching. So Jordan placed fourth. He's awesome. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a young guy and it's a really, really great structure. Um, and then in third was Sam, one of our athletes, Sam Kaplan, who's in great shape, great balance all around. And then I was in second. Um, and when we were, we came out there, I just so happened to be in the middle, um, along with Lorenzo Elder, who is also a 3DMJ athlete, who's Jeff's, Jeff's client. We had the two numbers that we were like number three and four in the lineup of seven. We didn't get moved a single time at all. Lorenzo and I stayed put right next to each other. Didn't even get rotated once. They just moved everyone around us. We were like, I don't know, like two stars, you know, and, and, a, and a dual a dual star system with all the planets rotating around us. And I, if you know bodybuilding, you know what that the means. A good feeling. <laughs> yeah, they're figuring us out in one and two and everyone else is where they're figuring out third through seventh. Um, but I could not tell if I was first or if he was first. And I didn't get the full judges feedback, but I did get feedback from a few where they're like, yeah, I don't know if it's a fully split decision or a one point decision or what, but I, I definitely think I got some, some firsts. Um, and, uh, Lorenzo, I think did deserve it. I, I think wow. like, I think that's a very fair placing. Um, I had probably a better back than him and I had better legs, but he had pretty much everything else. So, and if you just compare like the actual poses themselves, I probably um, had more, more, more poses I lost than one. So there you go, right? And I think he probably won the symmetry round just because he's got a tiny waist and huge delts and chest. He had some of the more bubbly, natural kind of structure of a bodybuilder. And Lorenzo's already an NGA pro and has already won NGA like pro, pro shows actually. So he went on, he, he won the middles, then he went on to win the overall. And I was like, man, I, I, I think I could have won the overall. Like I was right there. Like, okay, we're real close. Like these last two shows, I got literally as close as I could to winning the pro card as possible. Like I came down to the panel decision in the first show. And then I was the one person second to the guy who got the pro card at the Battle of the Bay. So I was disappointed, but I wasn't discouraged. Um, I felt like I was just right there, you know, another day, you know maybe slight posing tweaks. I felt like it was that close. Um, and I, I was not deterred. And I just got right back into the same mindset and we repeated the exact same process. The only thing we did was we pulled the carb load back a little earlier and loaded me up more. So we we're like, all right, let's get tighter and see if we can also come in a little fuller. And um, and then we did the Washington. And that was the that was the one of the harder moments in prep was the Washington State. Because uh, there was only four in my class and I placed third out of fourth. And that was a real, a moment where I was like, oh shit, maybe I'm not good, you know? Um, because, okay, I'm not in a class of seven with a bunch of pros. I'm in a class of four. Um, and until I saw the pictures, did I, did I, did I feel a bit better? But, uh, and I was just discouraged, you know? I was like, I, I was pretty down after that. Cause I was like, I went from first to second to third, three weeks in a row. Well, I think my physique is getting better. And it was like, just the, how much this sport can give you the mind F, Steve, you know? Um, but I, then I looked at the pictures and I was like, oh, God damn. Like, so Ace, Fu Ming Shang, big shout out to you, man. He flew over from Hong Kong. I do not say this lightly. He has some of the best quads I've actually ever seen in natural bodybuilding. Like, period, you know? You've seen a lot of quads um, as well. 
I've seen a lot of quads. Alberto mm-hmm. Nunez is, is my best friend. So, you you know, like, so just to, to take that with a grain. He had ridiculous legs and he had top to bottom strider glutes. You know, like there were some things in his physique that he could have improved, but he was really, really, really good. Um, and uh, and he, he won our class. And then second in our class was actually a guy named Ryan B, who's a men's physique pro, who was going for his amateur bodybuilding class. So like I had slightly bigger legs than him, but he had much better upper body. Like he had very broad shoulders, really good X frame, and he was in shape. Um, so uh, apparently it was, a, and, and, and then in fourth actually, to give a lot of credit, Josh Bradshaw. So really good uh, physique there as well. Um, you know, coming on and then like, so we, it was a, it was probably the most competitive four person class I've ever been in when I actually looked at it and I was like, damn, okay. So, so third's a little different than I thought. And then we went to the, uh, the after party and I, and we, I got some judges feedback and I don't, don't normally do that, but I, I wanted to figure out like what happened, you know? And, um, cause when I looked at the pictures, I'm like, oh man, this is like apples and oranges. Like, you know, the, the person in, in third me, um, I've got bigger legs than him. He's got bigger upper body than me. And then Ace is kind of not missing anything, but I'm in shape and maybe I'm a little tighter than him. How did this shake out? And when I got the judges' feedback, I actually, two of the judges I talked to had me in first. So, <coughs> excuse me. I started to realize like, okay, there's thirds and there's thirds, right? And uh, maybe I haven't backslid. Maybe I'm not far off. And maybe this doesn't need to mean that I'm, I'm not good enough. But I really did let some of my insecurities get to me after that show. Do you not see the progress you would like? Are you sick of writing your own programs? Or perhaps you need some accountability in order to stick with a plan? Then it's time to start working with us. We at Revive Stronger offer a truly personalized coaching service. You'll get more than just an email with some macros or random cookie cutter program. With Revive Stronger, you will be the center of our attention. You will receive your own fully individualized training protocol alongside a customized nutritional strategy. We created the coaching around your needs, wants, personal preferences, and your own unique lifestyle. Every single week, we delve into your program in order to make appropriate adjustments so that we get the most out of your time and the best possible outcome. We help both female and male athletes to seriously change their body composition by adding more muscle mass and decreasing fat tissue. No matter if you're a competitive bodybuilder or just want to look better, if you need help with your progress and taking your physique to the next level, our coaching is for you. It's time to make a change, sign up today and let's revive stronger. Yeah, it's it's so easy. I can just reflect on my 2021 season, like I, I won a show, which was like, I've never, that's the only show I've ever won. And it was Hmm. a feeling that I've not to this day experienced before. It was unbelievable. Like I teared up and it was just like, it was just a qualifier. Like it didn't, it wasn't, I wasn't in the best shape of my life, but it kind of gave me a lot of belief. But then the next shows after that, I was like coming fourth and third. And it's like you said here, it's like, you don't know who's turning up on the day. And these are, the, the classes were just so much better and people were in better shape at these, but it's funny how it just eats away at your self belief. So I, I totally relate to what you're saying, but um, it's interesting. I think some of this judge's feedback almost sounds like it's it's setting you up well moving forward. Yeah, it's I think it, it's a very tough thing in this sport, especially if you don't have like the intrinsic motivation and the ability to be objective or people in your corner who aren't just yes men or women um, to really kind of keep a reasonably objective view of where, where you where you stand. And uh, the Washington, 
was was a challenge to that, but it, it ended up going well. Like, I'm glad I got judges' feedback because, yeah, like, I don't think the judges had an easy time in, in, that, in that lineup. Um, they were, you know, like, okay, he, so he's a little bit leaner, but he's got bigger body. Like, we were, and it, it was an interesting comparison of, of people with different strengths and weaknesses. Um, and ultimately, if you take four awesome people who all could be very high-level athletes and you put them on the same stage, someone has to be fourth, someone has to be third, someone has to be second, someone has to be first. And when you're averaging, the way it works in the WNBF is you get a symmetry round and you get a muscularity round. For those who don't know how uh, that operates, basically the way a symmetry round, I think the best way I've, I've heard it described and I've repeated it is if you just take the person and you just turn them into a silhouette. So you ignore their their lines, their 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 size of their muscles, and just what silhouette does that create? And you're looking for tiny waist, broad shoulders, sweeping quads, and like you know roundness in all the right places. In general, left to right, top to bottom, front to back symmetry. Um, and then you get a you get a you get a ranking for that. And then the muscularity round, you take the silhouette away, and you're looking at basically how how lean are you, and then how big are you, and the kind of the gestalt combination of those two things. So um, you got these two scores, they get added together, ranked, and then you take, you know, sometimes nine judges, you throw out the highs and lows, and you average seven people. So you can have points that are literally like one point difference from first to second and one point difference from second to third. And I don't think I was, you know, two points away from first. I think Ace was the one who I would have put in first, you know, looking at it back. Like he had the, the least the least amount of missing things and probably the best conditioning and the most standout pieces. Um, but yeah, I think I was probably one point off a of second or very close to that. And I did get first place votes in, in third place, two of them. So that I'm aware of. I didn't actually see every single scorecard. So I think that um, that helped me understand that it was a like a three-way dogfight for, for, for us in that class. And that made me feel better. Also the fact that, you know, they're, they're good, right? So, yeah. And, um, you know, credit credit does go to the fact of just how deep this show was because it, it wasn't necessarily Ace who won the overall. You know, shout out shout out to at Keto Savage, um, you know, who, who ended up getting getting the, uh, the overall there and he competed in Worlds uh, as, as a lightweight. So, I mean, dude, Steve, I mean, something's going on in the UK because there's so many really, really, really good competitors there. Um, like the, the amount of talent that that's in the UK is very impressive. So I think same experience and, and I'm glad you, you, you are, you feel the same way. It's like when you start, when you get good enough to compete in these shows where it's all good people, um, you, you, you kind of have to shift your perspective a little bit versus if you're competing in a lot of small shows and like, if you're the good guy, you're probably going to win. But when everyone's like a really good competitor, then, you know, it, like, it's an, it's it's just another level. It's another ball game, and I wanted to get on that level, and I knew that I I still even though I was I was looking good, I could get tighter, and I was fortunate that the next show, the WBF Australia, was two weeks away, so I had more than like five low days to run. I had I had I had thirteen, you know. Um, but anyway, shout out to to Robert Sykes. He actually got his his pro card. He won the lightweights and then won the overall, and and basically snatched up the uh, the additional pro card that was at that show. So that was a super pro qualifier. And he won his pro card just winning the lightweights because there was, I think, more than eight. Um, but then he, because he won the overall, that means he, he he gobbled them both up. So just a very, very good competitor. He was diced. So big shout out to, to Robert Sykes. Um, good dude. 
incredibly uh, shredded physique, and it was enough to take out a very muscular heavyweight and also ace, you know, in, in that overall. So very, very worthy competitors. But yeah, once you start doing these big shows, like this was a super pro qualifier, pro-am, um, you know, the Battle of the Bay, uh, like it was a very different caliber of competitiveness compared to, say, the New Zealand show. Um, and I, what I did accept, though, and what I was able to onboard is like, you know, there's people who walk into the show and they're, they're like that guy or one of those guys. And I was like, okay, I, I am one of those guys. Like I walk into a show and I'm, I'm a contender. Yeah. Um, and I started to lose that a little bit with that third placing. But I was like, you know what? There's, there's a lot of that guys in the show. And I, I'm, I'm still one of them, damn it. Yeah. Um, and let's get even tighter. Like let's bring my best because I think while it was, again, my best physique at that at that show, the Washington, the third one in a row, I still wasn't quite as lean as I was, say, at like the Mayhem in 2019. And that was the goal going into Australia. So, all right, let's bring these physique improvements, but let's get as tight, if not tighter, than we got in 2019. Let's get those cross-strided quads. Let's get those, um, you know, cross-strided hamstrings. Let's get the gnarliness. Um, and that's what we spent the next two weeks doing, and then we went to Australia. Yeah, just uh, to reflect upon something that was very valuable to me, uh, it gave me more perspectives, was judging. Now I've judged, I think, four mm. times. And it, it just does give you, like I've had, it's literally this situation. So I've had like three, four people who are joint on my scorecard. And then I'm just like, hey, I've I've got to look at these and pick who I'm putting first, second, third, and fourth. Because that's what you got to do as a judge at the end of the day. And, it, and then it can be subjective at that point because you've used as objective of criteria as you can. And I love the silhouette description, by the way, because that's something we had in our like coaching to be, be a judge was like, hey, don't focus on the striated glutes in this rear symmetry round. Like you just got to look at actually how's their shape. So thinking about it as a silhouette is perfect. So I've, I've definitely experienced that. And I think it's really valuable for competitors and also coaches to hear like, hey, you can come fourth, but be so close to being first. You just might not necessarily know it. So yeah, let's transition into the WMBF Australia. It was, was wild. It was a really well-ran show. Um, it was the... I actually want to say it's probably the most competitive, biggest show that I, I had done up until that point. Um, they had almost 100 competitors, um, and the they had kind of established what, what were their rules for pro cards going out. For Because fortunately, they had a big enough show, they had the agency to do that. Um, and they had a lot of help. Um, WBF New Zealand, uh, Simon Collins, head, head, of the, head of the Fed, big shout out. He was on the, the panel. Um, they also had uh, all the folks from WBF Taiwan, so Eason, the president, and like their whole team. And if you don't know, WBF Taiwan is killing it. They have like two shows a year that are nearly 400 competitors. Wow. That's nuts. Yeah. So um, the, 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 they are, those are the biggest shows in the WBF and some of the biggest shows, period, if we're talking natural bodybuilding. Um, and they do it right. So that their whole team came over and they, I think they're a big part of, of why um, – they were so successful, but big shout out to Sebastian and Yolan. They're uh, the VP and, and president of WBF Australia. Um, Sebastian is a physique pro, so he like he knows, and uh, he like they they lived in Taiwan. Um, I think they're they're dual citizens of both, or at least Yolan is of uh, of Taiwan and Australia. So like they were able to to, to take all of that um, that knowledge and that experience, and that's why it's such a good show. So anyway. They established a priority. They said, hey, 
Um, if we get at least eight, we can give out a pro card. Um, if there's less than eight, our panel can make a decision that a pro card, the, the person is pro card uh, worthy. And it's the local panel. The actual judging panel is physically there. And they have, a, a, like, Australia has a really robust natural bodybuilding scene. So they had a lot of great judges. People might be aware of them, like Martin Ruffalo was a judge. He recused himself when I was up there because I'm his PhD supervisor. Um, you know, Joey Cantlett, very experienced judge as well. Uh, the ICN is very strong. Their A and B, it's a lot of federations. So they had a really, really good judging panel. So they didn't need to have a, uh, like an external review kind of board. So less than eight, we can decide if there's a pro card or not. Uh, eight, there's a pro card. More than eight, we have the option of giving a second pro card. And so that's the situation we were in. There was, I think, 10 bodybuilders competing. Um, and I also decided to jump into the masters, um, because okay, I can, I can, I turned 40 this year, damn it. Um, I did do the masters by the way at the Washington and I, I did win that, but you know, my, my, my focus has very much been on the, um, like the open and turning pro and competing at the highest level I can. Um, I also knew that there was not going to be five masters at the Washington. So it was more just kind of for the experience and just to make, make the show better. I, they, they asked me to do it. Um, and, uh, Aaron Orton did a great job with the Washington, a fantastic show. And he was just really thinking of how do we give all the competitors in the audience the best experience. And he only had two masters and he was like, Hey, Eric, I'll give you free entry and you can do the masters. I was like, sure, absolutely. That's really kind of you. I'd be more than happy to. And I got to run through my posing. So anyway, I, I did win the masters in the Washington show. And I, I want to say that just because it you know shows respect to my fellow competitors and you know what I did. But, um, yeah, so, I, but part of the reason I entered the masters at, uh, at the Australia show was I knew the panel could decide to award, award a pro card. And in the WNBF, you can get a master's pro card. Um, and it's kind of like American Express, not Visa. Like you can use it in some locations. So you can compete as a master's pro in the master's pro division, but you can't compete in the open. However, the, 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 the normal pro card, the full pro card, if you will. And again, I don't mean any disrespect towards master's pros. Um, probably be a point where I am competing in it as well is that uh, if you're over 40 and you have an open pro card, you can compete in the Masters pro. But if you are a Masters pro, but you don't have an open pro card, you can't compete in the open pro. So I wanted the, like the, the full-blown open pro card. But I said, you know what? If, if I can, I'm going to take it as far as I can this season because I, I owe it to myself, right? So I'm going to enter the Masters. We'll see if they think I'm, you know, because I know there's not enough, but, you know, if, if, if I win and they think I'm quality enough, I get a master's pro card, I'll compete at Worlds as a master's pro. And, you know, then I'll work towards getting my open pro card, you know, take it as far as I can. That was my mentality. So I entered the open, I entered the masters and that day was, um, uh, and it was an amazing experience. There were so many great competitors, such good community. Um, they had an awesome venue. They really outdid themselves and it was a big show, fantastic lighting. Um, MC was awesome great photography. Uh, I really can't say enough about WBF Australia. They really, really did a great job. And I went up against a, a really tough master's class. I think we were probably in the most conditioned class. The three of us were all in really good shape. Um, so Arash, he was in second. He is an ANBA and PNBA pro to me, and he got moved to the center. We had a nice little battle there. I think he probably got some first place votes, but I think I ultimately edged him out. And then they announced that I got my master's pro card. And that was a big moment for state on, on stage because it was the opposite of what was told to me at New Zealand. You know, they said, Hey, we get a panel who's going to decide whether you're pro worthy. 
you are. And I was like, oh shit. But, you know, I, I kept it together for that because I was trying to go for the open. Uh, and it's a straight through for- format and we came right on in the open right after the Masters. So Arash and I walked off stage and walked right back on stage with then the rest of the class. So we had the 10 guys split into two classes. Um, so it was two classes of five uh, and it was an A and B. They didn't say light or heavy because the cutoff was not what you'd anticipate for that. I was actually the, the heaviest person, the tallest guy in the in the class a i was right around 80 kilos for that weigh-in um that was basically the cutoff um so i i won that as well and there was some really good competitors in there and third uh there was uh, alex connor um really really good physique in australia and uh everybody was, was in shape that was a very tough class of five but i came out on top and when that happened i was really I was starting to, I could see what was happening. I was like, oh shit. So they've already told me in my last class that I'm pro worthy. I know there's two pro cards to give and I'm going into the overall. So most likely I'm, I'm, I'm going to get one of these two pro cards. Um, now the way it ended up going is that uh, Muhammad, he won the, 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 the heavyweights very deservedly. And he is, like I said, there's multiple that guys in this show, and, and like yeah. Arash was 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 one, and and the one I was, and I would even argue Alex was as well. He placed third in my class, so like the top three in 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 my class were very good. Actually, even even fourth place looked looked really really solid. If you were to go back and look at the pictures, and he, I think um, I'm blanking on his name right now. I could probably look it up on my Instagram, but he had he had either placed first or second in a big ICN show in a classic physique uh, division. So like there were. Um, these are stacked classes and, uh, I am actually going to look him up cause he deserves the credit, but yeah, let's see what's his name. Um, so anyway, top three, top four, arguably in my class, were all very, very good. And, um, same thing was the case in the heavies. So, um, the gentleman who I ended up having to battle in the overall, um, got his pro card and, uh, his name is Muhammad. And I think his last name is Bowaki. I could be mispronouncing that. Um, sorry, dude. I, 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 I'm not giving you the, the due credit you need for your name. But uh, anyway, he, he got his pro card there. And he had had a really good run. Um, and I do think that was a pretty clear win. Like when you look at the symmetry round, he's the classic, you know, small waist, broad shoulders. So he definitely won that. And then it came down to the muscularity round where I was leaner, but he was bigger. Pretty much everywhere. There was, I think, I think I probably you could have made an argument that I won on the side shots, but that's only two shots, you know, three shots if you include the symmetry round, right? So I, um, it just wasn't enough, and it was a really good battle, but I, I think it was he was the clear winner, and uh, yeah, he he got his pro card. It was a moment, momentous moment for him. He, you know, collapsed to his knees, and then what they decided to do to make sure that they were giving the second pro card to the second best person in the show was, well, they had these two people who would play second to Muhammad, myself and Lawrence Greaves, uh, General Muscle, if you want to follow him on, on Instagram. And he's part of the uh, Natural Bodybuilding Down Under podcast, a great group of guys. And he's had a really good season too. Like he, he has been killing it in some ICN shows and other shows, very young for, for the level of his development at 23. And they brought him out. So I had a pose down against Lawrence to figure out who was the, the second best, second best person, right? Um and I edged Lawrence out, and so that was really cool. And then I got announced that the panel 
gave me the pro card. And I, Steve, to say that it was an ugly cry would be <laughs> would be too nice to the word ugly. It was it was like it was like a snotty kind of <laughs> like 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 yeah. It was I managed to not do that on stage. I did cry on stage, but I kept it together. But man, I broke down like probably three or four times that day backstage because um, this is something I've been going for 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 dude like I set the goal in 2006 before my season started right when I decided I wanted to compete and I saw natural bodybuilding and fitness magazine I learned about the WNBF the first show I ever attended was actually a 2006 WNBF show where I was a test judge Um, and I was like oh man I want to get my pro card into the WNBF that's the eventual goal Um, so this is a goal I set 17 years ago and from the first WNBF show I did in 2009 14 years ago I've been gunning for it and I've placed second or been in overalls and not won so many times that the amount that was riding on that it was just amplified by the things I'd experienced in the three shows prior yeah. and in my four seasons leading up to that. So I was, um, yeah, I was, I was floored. I was blown away, and it was such a uh, an amazing feeling to get um, to get to turn pro. You know, so that was. Um, that was like the, at that point, the pressure all went away because while I was still going to do worlds in three weeks and compete in the open pro division at worlds, which is, I think the closest thing to our Olympics in natural bodybuilding, Steve, Yeah. like you can make an argument for some other shows being up there, but the pro division at worlds, I think you could honestly say is it's, it's at least an argument for being the most competitive show in natural bodybuilding period. And with the WNBF's testing quality, it's I think the I, I think it's 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 the most prestigious, you know, because it's ten year polygraph drug free urine tested. You have to do a show to qualify. Um, so I, I just to think like I earned a spot on that stage against those guys. I was like, wow. And this year was like a spectacle. Like the the quality yes. of competitor this year, I think. Obviously, COVID and everything probably led people to be a bit uncertain. And I don't know how people did with their training nutrition over that period of time, too, because some people didn't even have access to gyms or anything. So maybe they wanted a bit of time. So it was unbelievable seeing Worlds. But also, uh, I have to say, I really appreciate you giving so much credit to every competitor and being sure to give them that, too. It just speaks to your character. And like, again, it's so nice that natural bodybuilding is like that. It's like, hey, you beat me but it's cool because you were probably better than me it's not like battling against one another it really is community driven which i love um so that's so cool and yeah i can't imagine what that feeling was like for you uh in some ways uh like uh, it's a feeling that you i imagine is in the top five experiences of your life like it might even be in the top three (laughs) like it's right up there there, man it's (laughs) i think yeah, like it, it's it's definitely up there. And and by the way, I do want to give a shout out to uh, Ian Antopina. He placed fourth, fourth in the in the short. But he, like I said, he had a really good year, and he he did really well in the classic class. So just it was a deep deep competition, and and people do 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 give the credit because I've been the guy, as I've discussed in in third, you know, um, and and uh, like most people don't get to win, you know. And I think sometimes we get so focused on the champion's mindset and the outcomes and, you know, grind and persevere and, and you can accomplish things too. It, but it's like some people are never going to win a pro card. 
Yes. And they and I think there is so much to be gained from competing and staying in the sport for as long as, as, as you get value from it. And if you place too much emphasis on winning, then you don't get the value from it. And I think it's tragic, you know? Um, like, you know that even if I didn't turn pro this year, I still wouldn't be done competing, Steve, you yeah. know? And I know you're the same way because it's more about seeing how far we can take it and, 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 and letting the chips fall where they may. But if you get too focused on those chips, which, like I said, it's a subjective sport with, with subjective nature and you don't know who's even showing up, then it can really rob you of the opportunity to experience all those other things. So anyway, yeah, I want to give a credit to all the other competitors who are, you know, uh, doing these shows because um, they enrich the experience. You know, they, they're, they're the crucible which I get, to, I get to test myself against. You know, when I can say, yo, this guy, he plays second in an untested show. Muhammad, you know, in, in, in the physique class and he's trying to go for an IP pro card and he's won an ICN, you know, and, and then Arash, you know, he's a pro in two other organizations. It's, it, it gives them their, their due credit. And it also, um, gives me the confidence that the win I had meant something, you know? So like, like it was an honor to get to go against Lawrence, you know, he's an awesome physique and for him to be my final boss, you know, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it was uh, it was a really really cool experience. Definitely, like I think it's the fact that I still haven't fully processed it will tell you how much it meant to me, Steve. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I, I was I was bawling, you know. I'm a 40 year old man you know, who's who's experienced a fair amount of things in life, but but this yeah. this was momentous. And I know because uh, I want to speak to it a little bit that even when you got the pro card, there was even this little devil on your shoulder that was like speaking some devil language to you, telling you that you didn't really deserve it, wasn't there? Yeah, and the funny thing is that took a couple of days to manifest. Day of, I was on cloud nine. Day after, I was on cloud nine is probably too low of a number, but um, two days later, I, I, I think I saw some of the stage pictures and there was just this one... Or, or it was a video and it just kind of made everyone look soft. It was a weird angle and like uh, you couldn't see that I had striated glutes in it. And like objectively, I was like, okay, everyone looks softer in this. This is, I see this all the time. You know, like for example, some of the shots from some of the recent Canada shows, you could just tell the lighting wasn't that great. But I was like, I know these guys are in great shape. Or um, for, for example, from the Mr. America, like Robert Thompson looks awesome in that. But he doesn't look like the leanest man alive. And I know, like, yeah. I saw the pictures on his page, and he's like cross striated rectus femoris, but you can't see it in the, like, so I know the way lighting works. And if you're not physically there, you don't really actually understand what people look like. And I was physically there, I did see it, and I'm seeing this pic, this one video, not even other ones, where I don't look quite, quite as lean. And this, uh, this, the doubt that I, I thought was maybe quenched, it rose up and it rose up strong, man. I had to actually get my wife and Alex Thomas, my friend who I stayed with, head of the SNA, who was like the man. He was like my my backstage handler at this competition to talk me off the ledge. I was um, I was like Barb, my wife. I was like, I know this is probably BS, but I I think I need to hear it from someone else because I can't trust myself. Did did I get a gift? Did they give me the Eric Helms Pro Card? Did they give it because I'm like for, for not because of my physique, but for other reasons, like because I'm, I'm, I'm a member of the community. This is just like a bullshit fame kind of thing. And uh, like she like set down her, 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 you know, her phone. She's like, let me tell you something, you know? And like she told it to me straight and, um, and she like showed me pictures and pointed things out. And she was like 
very firm, you know, and, uh, and Alex to his credit was like, he, he, he used my own words against me because I remember pumping up. I had a fantastic peak at the, uh, at the Australia show. I, I've actually had a good peak, peak at every one of them. Big shout out to, uh, to Alberto. He coached me through this whole season and he landed the plane perfect each time and better each time. And we moved the peak back one day, loaded heavier, and I had more time to clean up. And I was perfect on game day. And I remember pumping up, looking in the mirror, and I didn't want to say it like too out loud. I didn't want to sound like arrogant or like I'm make it seem like I'm trying to impact my fellow competitors. But I walked up to Alex and I was like, "I look fucking big. Like what? <laughs> like I'm not I'm not the big guy, you know? Yeah. I was like, this is the best I've ever looked. And he was like, I know, man, you look ridiculous. So he was like, so he texted me and he was like, what did you say to me when you were pumping up? And, I, and, and like, he, he made me type it out. Like, I'm, this is the best I've ever looked. I look big. And I'm like, all right. So, <laughs> but it, it was, it was interesting to me because I was able to sit there and kind of observe my own reactions. And I was like, this is not logical. This is an emotional response, you know, deep, deep rooted fear. Like the last dying gasp of, of my insecurities, unwilling to let go despite the facts, like, no, 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 this was bullshit, you know? And, uh, and I like the part of me was really just like, no, this is a gift because I, I don't think I was ready to accept that maybe I had reached a level that I wasn't sure I could ever get to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, that like that insecurity was alive and well, Steve. And, uh, and I, I thought it was gone. I, I, I think, I think it is definitely way less now. Like I've, I've even, cause, cause that was, you know, I've, I've competed at worlds now and, and, and you know we can get to that in a second, but I, I didn't, I didn't get completely dunked on at Worlds, which was, it's still mind blowing to me. And uh, I got to watch the video from that, which is the best thing. Um, you go to Wayne Carmona's uh, YouTube channel; he has the the heavyweight, middleweight, and lightweight full posing uh, like comparisons on video, and it's pretty pretty high quality for a for a cell phone. But um, but yeah, th- that was a really that was a tough afternoon, man, and it took yeah. me uh, uh, like uh, by surprise. And with that, obviously, if you've experienced that after even getting the pro card, I imagine before getting it, like what allowed you to go into this season thinking you were pro, you could get the pro card, I mean, seeing that you kind of experiencing this afterwards, I would have thought you had that sense at some point before as well. Man, you know, it, it's for, for me, the insecurity has always been a push pull. You know, um, I was able to work around it. I had this uh, self-belief that I just did not have good enough structure for, for bodybuilding to, to, to do anything more than sneak in and, um, catch people with conditioning and posing. That was my, my self-narrative. And then I was able just to kind of put the insecurity aside and go, and let's just see if I can improve. Like, I'll just try to get bigger, you know? And, um, I used to think like, maybe I could be like a, like a, like a Kurt Widener. And I don't mean any disrespect when I say that people may not even know who that is. And Kurt's probably not listening, but Kurt Widener is, um, really good competitor from the kind of mid 2000s era and i think the peak of his career was actually 2009 the last show i did was a pro-am and he beat sean clarita he won the heaviest sean clarita won the lights and it was because kurt was big and shredded and he wasn't he didn't have any weak muscle groups but he just was not put together in a very aesthetic way doesn't have like the, the structural uh talents but Sean wasn't in, in good enough shape, but he's certainly in good shape. And he got, he got the, he got, he edged him out. So, you know, I kind of always held on to that. Like, all right, if I can just get a little more size, I don't have the structure for this. 
And I thought maybe I just need to try to get bigger, try to get bigger, try to get bigger. And, you know, I'm also not the biggest guy. So I, that was kind of like, I just had to ignore the insecurity and just put in the time and maybe I will get bigger and find the right combination of variables. You know, that's what drew me to, to science, you know, it was originally very selfish, right? So um, 2019 though, when I started to see my physique, I was like, okay, I, I haven't gotten that much bigger. I'm bigger, don't get me wrong. But with the size I put on and the completeness in my upper body and kind of balancing that my lower body, damn it if I kind of look pretty. You know, like I, 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 I couldn't not acknowledge it, you know. And, um, and the feedback I was getting and I had a, a guy, Rafael Caldiza, who is a longtime WNBF pro, told me, I think also either in my 2011 or 2009 season, I think it was 2009, he said, Eric, I know you don't believe me, but you've got the lines of a, of a Benfado or a Zane. And if you keep, if you stick with this, you're going to do some damage. And I only sort of believed him. Um, and Jeff has told me like, no, you got good lines. Like you think you have bad structure, but you're like a little narrow, but that's you're, you still, but you look good. Like you have an aesthetic quality to your, to your physique. And I didn't really believe that until 2019. And I did the Zane homage and I saw the picture and I was like, okay, so maybe I'm, so maybe I shouldn't be thinking about getting huge one day. Uh, cause I'm, I, I, I'm, if I'm not going to all of a sudden get huge at this stage, right? I'm going to make some targeted <laughs> physique improvements, but I've been, I'm 40 and I've been lifting since I was 21. So 19 years of lifting, I'm not going to wake up one day. Oh shit. That was what I needed to do. You know, like I've experimented with a lot of things. I know what I need to do to get better. And the pace is the pace. I do think I have more runway, um, after the improvements I made from 2023 to 2019 being so noticeable in specific muscle groups. Um, but, uh, I'm not going to wake up one day and have a transformed physique. I'll have marked noticeable improvements in certain areas, which make a large impact. And that's what I'm committing to as a pro as a little kind of off season goal, uh, sneak preview. But I realized I'm pretty like, um, I can, I can leverage that. I have some good lines. I, you know, my waist is actually kind of starting to look small now that I've put some size on my delts and there's a, a good flow to my physique and I can leverage that. I'm a good poser. So that was kind of, um, that was the confidence booster that allowed me to think maybe I can, I can go somewhere. Like maybe I had, to, I let, I finally let go of the narrative of I have shitty structure. Like I don't have great structure. I don't have the classic, you know, bubbly five, six, you know, meat nugget <laughs> structure, but I, um, I do have the classic um, you know, taller flowing physique structure and, and I can play to that strength, right? So that is kind of the, the, the reframing and, and the discussions and the story I told myself to like, you know, maybe I can do this, but, um, but it doesn't mean the insecurity is fully gone, you know? Yeah. So it's definitely been a push and pull, Steve. Yeah. I, I can relate to it strongly because especially the structure comment, that's exactly where and I judge, again, judging, I see where I'm losing points. I'm like, I just don't know if I've, it's, I've said it before, like, and you said it, not everyone can go pro or, and I, mm -hmm. I kind of like, uh, that structure thing. And I've actually been compared to Kurt by others before as well. <laughs> so kind of having those comments, but it's it sounds like you not only had those confirming comments from other people, Hey, like you actually have got it, but also you started to believe it yourself too. 
And I guess that's that's really nice and confirming. And then again, it comes back to those intrinsic motivators where even if this wasn't the case, you keep going to see what you can do to maximize your physique. And I know we're, we've spoken for quite a while now, uh, but I want to get to Worlds a little bit because I'm sure Let's that was a, a pretty unique and, and amazing experience. And yeah, so yeah, speak us through Worlds. Yeah, dude. And, and you said it, um, having that belief, um, it's everything. Uh, and I, I, that's an exaggeration. It's not literal, but it, it feels like a nether level for me um, because battling insecurity is a different thing than believing that you're actually able to achieve something. And I think for the first time this season, I, am f- I fully believe that I can actually take it further than I thought. Um, I don't know how far. I, I just don't. Um, but I have surpassed and that could, and the reason why I don't know how far I can take it is because I've surpassed where I thought I could go, which is an amazing experience in and of itself to have a cap that you, you know, you're just kind of ignoring, like, I'm just, I'm not going to look at this. I'm going to put my blinders on and to keep working because I'm, 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 I have, I have a cap that I think is not going to allow me to reach my goals, but I also have the, the self awareness to go that that might be artificial, that that might just be insecurities rather than objective. And other people have told me that my cap is different than that, like that Raphael Caldiza comment. So why, so I should not privilege my own insecurities over some of the other messages I've got, which are maybe, you know, like, like let's, let's wish upon a star. Maybe they're right and I'm wrong. And that, that's not exactly the recipe for amazing motivation, right? That, that kind of narrative. But I, I, it's not like I haven't tried, you know? So I busted my ass to the best of my ability and tried to put a blind spot on my, on my insecurities. But now that my insecurities have been largely defeated and I am surpassed where I thought I could go, I almost feel like the sky's the limit. I know the sky is not the limit, but I have re-achieved the kind of mentality I had, the good parts of it, in 07, in 06 and 05, where like I put on my first 20 pounds of muscle. I'm like, oh shit, I'm gonna be Mr. Olympia. You know, like (laughs) I don't, right? So I just don't know what I can accomplish. And I'm, cause I'm already past where I thought I could go. So it's all, it's all gravy, you know, like, and I'm, I'm excited. I'm motivated and I feel like I can make some really big improvements. And, you know, so I'm going to set big, hairy, audacious goals now, you know? Um, But the cool thing about getting my pro card and then being able to compete as a pro at Worlds was the pressure disappeared. The only pressure I had was I, I just want to look like I belong, but I was actually pretty confident after Australia that I, that I would. And then it was a matter of, well, how much will I belong? You know, I, I'll be a little embarrassed if I place last in the pro division, but I'm still a pro and somebody's got to place last and it's Worlds. So like that was, I wasn't that afraid of that, that outcome. I would have just been like, you know what? I got smashed on. I'm at the bottom of the ranks of the pros. It's all up from here, baby. That would have been my mentality, right? But I didn't, I don't think I placed last. And um, so the way it works, folks, at Worlds, when it's this, this big and it's getting bigger and bigger, they had a two-day show. There was, you know, 250 plus competitors. And that's, like I mentioned, the Taiwan show is bigger, but this, you have to qualify for Worlds. So to for there to be 250 competitors of this quality, man, Worlds, is it's a spectacle in terms of how good they are. The amateurs are insane. Um, because you have to be placing top three in large classes or winning small classes to even get to, to, to worlds. And some of the countries have even more stringent requirements for how you can represent the country. So um, amateurs are nuts. It's a super pro qualifier. So every class that has enough. Uh, there were three bodybuilders who turned pro, the bantam, the lightweight, uh, and the middleweight. 
and there could have been a fourth, but the middleweight ended up winning the overall as well. The light heavy and the heavy had less than eight, but if either one of them had come out on top, then you would have had four pros. And the cool thing about Worlds is that if you turn pro on Saturday, you can compete as a pro on Sunday. So when we had our athletes meeting on uh, on Friday and we're getting the lineups, we knew, and there might be some amateurs who are going to come in here and, and fill out, out even more. And that's exactly what happened. That middleweight who won the overall of the, the pros, you know, he had incredible structure, Doug King from Cayman Islands. Um, you know, I think he trains with Robert, Robert Thompson, who also incredible, won DFAC Worlds, won Mr. America. Um, he jumped into the middle. So I had a nine-person middleweight class. Um, and all killer, no filler, Steve, I tell you what. Like I said, you had, uh, you had Douglas King, who had just won the overall amateur worlds, which means you're going to be good as a pro immediately. Um, you also had, from Germany... The, the man who's been slaughtering everyone in Europe all the way up to this point, Benjamin Schuster, was in my class. We all thought he was going to be a heavyweight, but he was actually under the 185 cutoff. So they, everyone was hyping up him versus Bada, him versus Bada, um, and thinking that was going to happen in the heavyweight class, but it ended up happening in the overall. So Benjamin Schuster. And uh, one of the people who Benjamin has been battling, uh, Frederick Ibsen from Denmark, incredible physique, in some places on his physique, a little thicker than Benjamin Schuster. But Benjamin Schuster ended up just being a little too lean to get edged out. But that was a tight two-man battle. Um, and then in thirst, in, excuse me, in third, uh, Augustino Russo. He beat Jeff in the Pro-Am in Washington. Jeff placed second. So this is a very, very good competitor. He just, just coming off a pro win at the Washington State. So... Those ended up being your top three. Benjamin Schuster in number one, uh, Frederick Ibsen in number two, and uh, Augustino in number three. Um, and then, just to show you the quality of what it means if you can win the overall and the amateurs, Douglas King in fourth. So, that's your top four. And in fifth place, Malcolm Cooper, who is the, the double Mr. Universe. He won IPE and WNBF Universe this year, and he looked fantastic. So, that's your top five. Like, that Insane. is... Yeah, two pro show winners, the overall amateur winner, Frederick Ibsen and Benjamin Schuster. These, that is in, in like, I talked about some of the high quality classes I was in, you know, and, and I, I was pumping up the folks in the middleweights at, at the Battle of the Bay. Dude, to be in that lineup, oh man. And it keeps going. Like, you got, like, the one of the best bodybuilders in Italy. Uh, you got one of the best bodybuilders in Israel. Uh, you got uh, little old me. Um, and then you've also got uh, one of the best bodybuilders in Ireland, uh, Finbar Murphy. So that's the nine guys. All of them are like the, the best bodybuilders in their nation, you know. Um, and um, based upon the movements, you don't like you only find out if you're top five, only the top five pose. And I will probably sometime in a week or so, the, I'll be able to, you know, get feedback on where I actually placed. Um, but based upon the movements, I wasn't last. I don't think I was. I, I think I was somewhere between sixth and eighth. And and Steve, I tell you what, if I play sixth in that class, I'm gonna I'm gonna crap my pants, like on <laughs> on purpose. You know what? And I'll, I'll hang those pants on the wall, like just to show, like that's. Um, but I watched the video and and I was able to like, just to show you that my my that insecurity is really fading. I watched the videos. I looked at the pictures and I went, I belonged. You know, like I wasn't I, I wasn't cracking the top five. I'm not there yet, um, but. I definitely got a good look, and there are pros who I was beating. 
you know? So like, I, I looked like I was in the right spot. So to say in my career now that the, the pro world's middleweight lineup is the place where my physique belongs and where I'm competing, uh, it is mind blowing to me. And it is, it is so far beyond where I ever thought I could go, Steve. I thought I'd be able to be the guy who got kind of like the farm league pro card at a small show if I posed well and if no one else showed up. Um, and that would be the furthest I could ever take it. And, you know, at least people will appreciate my brain. And, <laughs> and we and got now, one of the, uh, the best man. bodybuilders in America now. Uh, yeah, this I mean, facts. apparently. Straight I up. Mean, I mean, to be fair, I represented New Zealand. So, oh, yeah, true. Uh, <laughs> Why did but, I say uh, America? It's the accent. <laughs> That's right. Well, I mean, I, I am a dual citizen, but uh, I thought I, since I got my, my pro card in Australia and I won the New Zealand national title, which is where I qualified for the at least amateur worlds. Uh, and it's the first I was so myself and big shout out to Anastasia. Uh, we were the first people to represent WBF New Zealand. We had a small but mighty team of two. She placed fifth in the master's figure on the amateur. Nice. She did great. So no, it was a it was a cool experience. I got a bomber's jacket, with Team New Zealand on it. Um, but yeah, there was, uh, it, it was, it was, it was, it was actually a very cool experience to represent my, my new country because we got citizenship last year in 2022 nice. and we're very, very proud of that. We love living here. But to your point, those kind of, um, concerns after getting your pro card, because there are people, we all know it, who get pro cards and maybe aren't quite pro worthy yep. just yet, but to go to worlds is almost the ultimate test. So then to see yourself up against like the best world's competitors, the best pros across the world and be like, hey, I belong. I'm beating people here. Like, that, that's that got to be a big like, again, even a great feeling alongside having gone pro. It's like, hey, actually, I, I totally have earned this and I own that pro card. Yeah. And it, it, it quelled those doubts um, that I had the two days after getting the pro card because um, it's just I, I – there the the piece of me which which wanted to preserve that 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 insecurity had had nothing to stand on and i'm sure that voice is in there somewhere and i i'm sure it, it's something that it will will rear its ugly head that's the nature of being you know human or at least the nature of being eric helms i'm not going to speak for anybody else but i um i have a level of self belief now that it feels like it enables me to put even more into the sport and I feel like people like don't value just how important motivation is. And um, I'm going to do something in the pros, man. I'm going to try to. The goal now is is to to become an unlikely pro champion. I want to place top five at Worlds. That's 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 the goal. And um, you know, I'm already like you know, I was aiming for the for for. Let's be honest. I was aiming for the upper atmosphere, and I got on the moon. So since I'm already past it, like, let's go for the stars. Screw yeah. it, Steve, right? So um, I don't think that's an unreasonable goal. It's all unreasonable at this stage. Like, I'm already <laughs> way, way past where I thought I'd be. So we're just going to keep going. And we're going to see if we can make my 40s into like a second 20s and make some gains. Um, and I, I tell you what, dude, like, um, I'm fortunate in some ways that my that I have a lot of experience in the sport before I came pro, like having a, uh, a smooth transition to the off season, not like binging, um, gaining weight at an appropriate rate, setting up an off season plan, being on, like I didn't, I, I hadn't, I, had, I didn't cheat on my diet at all. I didn't have a single blowout day. 
I'm, you know, I'm going to these post-show meals and people are like losing their mind over cheesecake and I'm, and I'm getting, oh, let's get a skinny Long Island iced tea. You know, I'll, I'll have some of your cheesecake. Like this was not the way it was for me in 2009, 2011. Like uh, I was really struggling with the lifestyle and barely keeping it together. And now it's, it's just who I am. So the confidence I have in being able to make the most of my time uh, and not having to, to, to correct errors and I'm immediately crossing I's and dotting T's. You know, I'm, I trained two days, I, I trained the day after Worlds, you know, and, and not in a way that was too much, you know, like, I, I, like, okay, where do I need to be? Like, I'm, to be very objective, I can be, you know, goal oriented, I can be focused, and I can also take this motivation into it. And, and I feel like I'm going to make some really good progress. Let's just put it that way. I'll let the, I'll let the, the work speak for itself, but Let's just say I, I feel like I'm in the best place I've been in my entire career. Um, so if, 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 if there's any gains left to be had, Steve, I'm getting them. And I, I love that. And I also love the kind of when you, you set this up, like people turn pro, but they haven't got that pro mentality. They haven't got the pro work. They haven't got the pro like knowledge of how to go about things. And now you aren't just physically a pro, you are also kind of acting as a pro and have been for years, which has enabled you to get where you are. Uh, so you've kind of alluded to the goal moving forward, which is great. Do you have a, a year in mind? you have to compete within a certain period of time now that you are a pro? I remember that being something the WMBF have. Yeah, so the, the current rules, and, and it'd be interesting to see if they're open to changing them, because um, I, I think I think they, they, they might they, they might be able to be massaged into something better that kind of gives people the opportunity to build a pro physique and, and properly recover. The main rule that I think is not great, and if anyone is listening from the WNBF, just think about this from the physiological recovery and psychological recovery standpoint, especially with some of the people who do turn pro early in their careers before they've adopted the lifestyle, is that once you turn pro, you have to compete as a pro within one year to keep it. So fortunately for me, I competed three weeks later. Um, but then the rule is that you need to, you, you keep your pro status if you compete every, at least every two years, unless there's life circumstances and then you can basically apply for an extension. Um, and I, I just don't think those rules need to be there. There's enough people involved in the WNBF that it's growing so much and it's competitive enough uh, to where I think giving the people the, the option if they want to go, you know what, I'm, I'm, I just don't think in this stage of my career I can do enough progress and, and just taking one year off and competing the next year. Uh, I'd like to take an extended off season. I think just having that be an op opportunity could, could could probably just enhance the competitor experience without harming the uh, the the nature of how many people are, are doing shows and, and the size of them and, and just the viability of, of bodybuilding and also the spectator experience. So I just don't think that's a concession that needs to be made. So we could just help the athlete more. That's my opinion. Um, but I'm I'm fine with it. I'm happy to come back in 2025. Um, I'm going to make a, a ton out of uh 2020 hey no there's still a month left yeah. in 2023 december it's going down dude um <laughs> i'm not leaving the country for for christmas so we don't have huge plans this year and i'm not one to 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 skip the gym and i got a home gym so you know what you close the gym i'm still making gains so i'm gonna make the most out of 2023 and and 2024 before you know the the diet starts again probably sometime if i start tight like in march to do worlds in, in 2025. So I've got time. I got more than a year of, of, uh, and I'm pretty damn well recovered already, Steve, you know, I'm nice. a little more than, yeah, I'm basically a week post worlds right now. And, um, we preserved a lot 
we brought calories coming up in, into the last show. We were able to eat up for the last 10 days into Worlds. So I was coasting in on six to 8,000 steps and 2,100 calories and topped me off. And, um, you know, I've been, I've been eating, eating well, but not crazy since. So I'm the right balance between not gaining too much too quickly and not, you know, slowing down my recovery at all. So um, I'm ready to rock, Steve. I'm bringing the heat. I love that. And uh, I agree with you, by the way, you said it was your opinion. I, I think it makes a ton of sense. Imagine if you didn't compete like very like this year again as turning pro. It's a lot of, it's just a lot for someone to go through physiologically. They're, they're not, they're going to turn pro and then come and compete if they don't that same season at their worst, because you're just not going to be physiologically in a place to be able to be recovered and do your best and perform your best. And I think most organizations like should be athlete first, like that should be mm. what comes first. So I agree with you there. So hopefully that is something that you said massaged. They can be massaged into. I like that. Uh, so uh, from me, Eric, from the listeners, thank you so much for your time. Thank you also for being who you are and also for 3DMJ as a whole, like the team. You guys are fantastic and true ambassadors for the sport. And I think myself included, as many of the listeners, we wouldn't be kind of even where we are, like with our bodybuilding if it wasn't for you guys and yeah i don't know where i would be uh what i would be doing uh, you've been inspirational for me in so many ways so thank you so much for your time and uh yeah for talking through your entire season and i'm excited for what's to come for you next uh no i really appreciate you giving me this platform to talk about it and share with people um i i, I really do wish almost everyone had this opportunity because there's so many people who um are not necessarily known online, but have these same momentous experiences. And I, I just want to say that I hope people know that um, I, I, I do this to give back. And uh, I've gotten so much out of bodybuilding and all you, all everyone who, who does this thing that only we can only really relate to each other, um, you're seen and your experiences are my experiences. I appreciate you. And I hope I can keep being an ambassador and representing everyone well. And I'm going to do my best to do so. And uh, I don't take it lightly to be a pro. I think now I've, I've kind of been said, hey, you're, you're representing the sport even more so now. And I, I really do plan to be what it means to be a professional and how I carry myself and how I represent our sport. And uh, I just appreciate you giving me the opportunity to, to display that. And Steve, you're doing great things as well. And, you know, it's, it's an honor to watch you keep carrying the torch and doing all the good things that you're doing. So it's been a privilege and a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you again, Eric, and thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you soon. Losing weight fast while maintaining muscle mass. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? It isn't though, it's reality and we know how to do it. And we will help you achieve this. The Minicup Movement is an eight week fat loss program to make you lose a huge chunk of fat while maintaining muscle mass at the same time. We will support you from the beginning to the end so that you see the results you would like to and come out of it much stronger. You'll receive a fully automated spreadsheet that is based on your nutritional needs. You can choose between six different male and female training templates. Over 30 videos will guide you through each and every single step of the minicup so that you're getting the most out of your journey and that you always know what to do. But the best thing is that you can start whenever you want. The minicup movement is open 24-7. So if you want to learn more or you're ready to sign up, hit the link in the description below. So let's revive stronger together.